in these small businesses, there is a huge transition for these employees to not center themselves around that new owner or that new operator, um, that there has to be the right disposition to not not let your ego get in the way of letting that happen. So you're coming in as kind of the big shot of the of the room and of the team and to not make the business float around you is, is um, it's really important because the business will end up stagnating. The following podcast is brought to you by Thrive. Manage, run, and grow your business all from one dashboard using one login. Small business runs better on Thrive. Hey, hey, this is Gordon Henry at Winning on Main Street. And today we're lucky to be here with Malcolm Peace. He's from Austin, Texas, founder of Sit Sarah Growth Partners, a company that specializes in buying family-owned businesses, small businesses with established Texas legacies. Before we talk to Malcolm, though, uh, a little bit of a newsflash here for Winning on Main Street. This is our last full-length Winning on Main Street episode after four and a half years since May of 2019 of doing the show. We're going to be handing off the show to a new host uh, in the new year. So uh, buckle up. Uh, this is exciting. We're, uh, we're here for our last show. It's our sort of holiday episode. Uh, but next week, if you tune in, you'll meet our new host and you'll hear a little bit about the format for the new show. So we hope you'll join us next week. And we also, of course, hope you and your family are enjoying the holidays. So let's get started with Malcolm. We have a great uh, uh, show today. Malcolm, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Gordon. Pleasure. Yeah, exciting. So Malcolm, uh, quick bio on Mr. Malcolm Peace. Uh, Malcolm Peace is the founder and president, as I mentioned, of Sit Sarah, that's spelled T-S-E-T-S-E-R-R-A, uh, which I guess was a, a mountain in uh, Mozambique or Zimbabwe where you uh, grew up or your family came from anyway, right? That, yeah, that's right. So Family originated from Southern Africa, kind of bounced around as as things kind of changed uh, politically and, and geographically over there. But yeah, so the family farm was at the base of Mount Sitsera, um, and it was about 70, 50 to 70,000 acres, roughly. Uh, my great grandfather owned it. It was one of the largest producers of cattle and dairy um, in the area and employed hundreds of people and supplied a, a resource to the local community. And so we try to embody that um, with what we do by just employing people uh, well and doing it right. And then also taking care of our customers, vice versa. Amazing. Amazing. And I'd like to say to our listeners, you know, what are you going to get out of this episode? And as you're going to hear, Malcolm works on uh, buying and running small businesses, as we mentioned, from uh, the Texas area. And he's got a very specific niche he focuses on. And if you listen to this, maybe you could be a partner or a seller to Malcolm someday, or even if that doesn't fit, uh, you're going to learn a lot about how Malcolm approaches potential acquisitions and what it might mean for your business as you think through your own future. So let's get started. Malcolm, tell us a little bit about how you personally got started. I know you have a kind of interesting origin story and got into this uh, niche of buying blue collar industrial businesses in Texas. Sure. Yeah. So I think with anybody's entrepreneurial journey, you're kind of crawling, then you're walking and then you're running. I think we're at the tail end of our crawling phase and hopefully running here soon um, in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, candidly, it was a journey of I had started to see folks that were running small businesses. They um, were able to, uh, you know, pre present a lifestyle, a fact of running these businesses for a long period of time, invested in their employees, um, creating a culture that really um, just did it the right way, I felt like. Um, and so I really wanted to do that. So kind of going through a school journey and then candidly after the fact, going into larger private equity and then 
journey, a journey of, of joining two partners actually in Texas where we were buying kind of B to C type blue collar um, hospitality, food and beverage type businesses. Um, I started interacting with a lot of blue collar guys. We had people coming in that were doing our septic installs. We were having people come in and doing our roll off dumpster and porta potty stuff. We had people all over and over and over again in the local community um, that we would use as vendors. And I just started having questions and started asking them questions about how would we, you know, be able to help you? What does your business look like? How long you've been around? And it came to realize like the system that we were building internally through software and implementation could be utilized inside of these businesses that really needed help growing. So you know, candidly, you know, we started walking at some point um, and, and we kind of figured out our niche through that process. Um, and when we did so, it became very evident that the pool of businesses in Texas being, I think, the 10th largest economy in the world now, um, there was enough opportunity for us to go very niche and focused and be known for what we do. Yeah, it's a big state. So tell us a little bit about the niche. Uh, tar you're targeting blue collar industrial businesses that have been around longer than 10 years doing three to 12 revenue, 15% net, net margins, very specific. Why did you pick that niche that you did? What, what, how did you come to that criteria? Yeah, so uh, that is an underserved market. If you look at kind of small private equity, I would consider this micro cap private equity in a lot of ways. Um, it's underserved. Um, if you go any higher than that, there's often motivation to sell really quickly and kind of move it up the chain as fast as possible. Um, there's not these people that want to be in these businesses for a long time with no exit plan, really, because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to buy businesses that we can hold on for a long period of time that produce great cash flow that have proven businesses. Now, don't get me wrong. My belief is that over a longer, long enough period of time, businesses will run into seasons of challenge and seasons of change where they need to pivot. However, these businesses that we're buying often have one, maybe two pieces of software that they're utilizing in order to grow or stabilize their business or create a business that's sustainable. And so we come in and we introduce eight to 10 roughly. Um, and what that ends up doing is it allows us to scale and build a business that's not centered around these owners. I have a belief that a business owner that takes a business from zero to seven, low seven figures, mid seven figures has a different skill set than we do. Um, what they have done is they've kind of proven out the market. There's a need for their service or their your widget or whatever they're producing. And we're trying to show them how do we scale this past kind of the capacity that they were able to create within their business. And so we are very, very addicted to building softwares and automations, as well as creating a process where the business is not built around myself or somebody else. Yeah. Okay. So I'd like to ask about your um, sort of relationship with these owners who sell to you, if that's the right word. Um, are you buying the business or somehow partnering? And do you take the owner out of the business at some point? When does that happen? And when you say, you, you're saying the word we, is we a management team that you bring in and run the company or does the existing management team stay on? Great question. So I'll, I'll work your questions backwards. So the team is built over time. Um, we have now added multiple analysts, multiple operations folks. And we also have a program now that we're about to introduce uh, next year, a little more formalized than it has been in the past, where we have operators that we've pre-qualified, trained and developed in our philosophies around business and implemented them into the business post-closure. So they are the new head of the business, but we believe that we are buying a business that has a particular assets, some that are obviously tangible 
tangible and some that are intangible. And some of those that are intangible is the knowledge base that's already with the employees. So over time, historically, we have found is that when we bought a business, people do transition for multitude of reasons. Sometimes it's, hey, I've been doing this for a long time. I worked for Bob and Sally. I really enjoyed that. I'm ready to retire. Sometimes it's, hey, I don't really like the vision of where you're going and you know, I, I'll help you for the next six months, but then I need to transition out to something that's more sustainable for the pace of my life, whatever the case may be. I believe that you know we come in with a set of energy and expectations that we want to grow these businesses and people self-select whether they want to be a part of that. We've seen many classic examples of people doing that. And I try to do it in a way where it's like, I'm not trying to force you out. And I and I honestly candidly think that your knowledge base is incredibly valuable and your skill set's incredibly valuable. So let's find a role or let's let's pivot or let's figure out what you need tools-wise and resources that you didn't have in the past and let's retain you. So to answer your question in a backwards way, we have improved the team over time of our playbook. Um, we have now on our website kind of our 100-day plan that we roll out. Um, and it's very transparent about what we're trying to do and accomplish in those 100 days. And then also at that same time, we want to retain as many people as possible because I believe we're buying that knowledge base and that skill set that's already in place. Um, I don't want that transition. It just makes things a lot more challenging. Okay. But if I'm hearing you right, the owner of the business is likely going to transition out sort of sooner rather than later. Yeah, great question. So my thesis is, or our thesis as it's developed over time, is that the business at this stage is built around the owner and it previously needed to be. Businesses that are doing sub, you know, seven figures or low seven figures needed to be built around the business owner for multitude of reasons. They're wearing mul they're multiple hats. They're involved with multiple customers. They're dealing with all sorts of things. But then eventually that has to change, right? I look at an, an Apple for an example. I know that's way far away from what we do, but Tim Cook is not in every meeting for a reason. Tim Cook is not involved in everything and neither was Steve Jobs. And there's a reason for that. Business, businesses are built differently over different seasons. And that's why CEOs transition and that's why things need to change. And so, yes, to answer your question, a part of our 100-day plan, we we usually introduce the first organization chart for the business. People don't have any idea. What does the path of this business look like for me? What can I grow into? What levels do I have? What's, you know, who do I actually report to? Because um, often they're just reporting to the person that got mad at them that day or asked something of that day or whatever the case may be. So we start, we start creating that structure and we start creating KPIs around that so they can have a pathway. And I start introducing as time goes on quarterly, usually here's what it's developing. Here's what, as I've learned, things have gone on. Here's what our opportunities are available to you. Like one of our manufacturing companies recently, I said, hey, we're going to introduce laser welding. We have to get faster in certain aspects and we've never done laser welding before. I have now partnered with the city to be able to do training. They're going to come in and train a multitude of people to be able to do laser welding. Here's a pathway. And it's, this is what your career path looks like if you want to go down this training. They've never mm -hmm. heard this stuff before. They have no clear vision of what's going on. Yeah. And often I say at the very end of the meeting, as you may have noticed, I'm not on the organization chart. So-and-so is not on the organization chart. There's a reason for that because people outside of us have roles and responsibilities that they're accountable for. And as a result, you need to go ask the appropriate person. So you're really, my word, uh, professionalizing the business. You're taking the business from something that was more you know, entrepreneurial, built around the founder to something that kind of moves up a level to more of a professionally managed business. So you mentioned software in the beginning or earlier in the conversation, a couple, you said something like seven to eight pieces of software. Talk about that. So you're really creating systems to run the business as opposed to it's built around Bob or Bill or Chad or 
Yeah, great question. So um, when we often take over a business, it is what I like to call a centralized business. It's centered around the owner. The owner has the information. The owner has the say. The owner has the autonomy. The owner has never told, here's your budget. Um, you know, simple things like that. So we take software to start that process of actually aggregating a lot of that data, getting it off of my sales guys. Like you may imagine I've got sales guys that are running these businesses and the owner, you know, never releases a single, you know, contact information for a particular customer, but yet they want the sales guy involved in the cost conversation and the sales guy's all confused. And so they don't have, you know, the ability to make decisions or, you know, whatever the case may be, the owner always decides how much discount to give on a particular product or service. And they have got no rubric to understand what that looks like. All that stuff starts getting out of the owner's head and starts getting documented. So people have the tools and necessary resources. And then simultaneously, you know, when we have that software and all that information is feeding into the different places, then we also have the SOP side of things. So one of the things that we have found in these small businesses, and this may sound harsh, is that a lot of the time the leverage for the business owner and the employee is very um, uneven. The employee often becomes kind of the um, catch-all. They handle a bunch of different things. They have very ambiguous titles. They don't really know, you know what their KPIs are necessarily, but they become fundamental to this business just surviving. And so the owner is like, I want to control everything, but you're also really important. And so the dynamics really um, unbalanced. And so what we do is we start documenting everything on the employee side or key employee side things so that we can reverse that balance where that if an employee chooses to leave or we don't, we need somebody else or we're moving roles around or whatever the case may be, we can de-risk the business from our personnel side as well. So when you come in, you find the business and you want to make this all happen. Um, are you buying the business and talk a little bit about the sort of M&A process? Are you doing your standard kind of like due diligence and what's your funding model? Do you have a fund? Do you have a PE fund? Do you have limited partners? Like what's your, where's your money coming from? Yeah, great question. Um, I'll answer them in reverse again. <laughs> so we uh, we raise capital on a deal by deal basis. That's what we're doing in our walking phase. That might change in the future. Um, we're always constantly talking to folks. We like raising capital from people that are existing business owners or former business owners because they understand what's going on. And candidly, I can make a phone call and be like, here's the circumstance. Here's where it's not going well. Here's where it's going well. Here's the contact I need, whatever the case may be. And they can make a direct you know, assistance in that way. Um, I never expect them to show up um, on the job site and helping us or whatever the case may be. They're very much limited partners, but they've been there and done that. That's where the value add comes. And that's where, mm -hmm. you know, in our industry, it's you know, often called like smart money, right? Like I really enjoy the fact that I can make those phone calls and, and have a you know intelligent conversation about what's transpiring and that this business, you know, we thought we figured everything out, didn't figure all of it out after due diligence. Here's the circumstances. Here's how we're pivoting. Here's how we're adjusting. All that kind of stuff. And so, those are really, really helpful um, conversations to have. Um, and then we're buying majority position on the businesses. Um, that is incredibly important to us to be able to maintain that control. Sometimes the business owner transitions out longer over a period of time. We're trying to be flexible on that. Um, sometimes that transition is because of our expectations of what the business is worth is, is a bit of a difference. And so we think that we have an opportunity to add value to the business. So we'll create some sort of kind of earn out process with the equity or some kind of holdback or rollover equity or something like that. So we can be fairly creative in that way. Um, but I do believe that these businesses that are in our space need to be built with the owner, not in the middle. And those that are in the space that we're buying from often built businesses around them. And so that transition can be quite difficult. 
Um, I heard a horror story a couple of weeks ago where a buddy of mine bought a business and the owner was like, I'm going to stay on for six months. And they had this great arrangement. And like, I think they were six weeks in and, and the owner was like, see you later. I can't do this. Um, they just struggled to like, we have a very similar philosophy, him and I. And so the, the business owner really struggled to understand like this business needs to transition. It needs to be the point where you're not the focal point of this business in every single conversation. And yeah, the office manager needs a budget to be able to go buy and not ask you every single day, whether or not the you know, purchase of $500 is approved. It's just a waste of time and it's a frustrating process. So um, anyways, those things are are difficult, but need to happen. Just curious, you mentioned the software piece. Um, our show, we like to talk a lot about technology. Are there some specific software systems you implement like that you see as like, this is central to the way you go about the business? Yeah. So we obviously, you know, CRM is a huge component of it. Um, one of the things that we have found in conversations with owners and after post transactions um, is that sales is a huge part of this space. Um, we spend a lot of time driving sales. So a lot of our systems are around sales. A lot of our systems is around getting a team that can be um, not locally based. So we introduce at least three to four virtual assistants that go in into the business um, and start driving that process. We have a sales one, we have a bookkeeping one, then we have a data management and scraping as well. And that's not just like broad basing, but a lot of these businesses, they have the data, they're just not digitized. And so we'll go into those, those records and we start digitizing everything. And we'll go looking for low hanging fruit within the sales funnel. So a lot of our software is related to sales. And then it goes back into depending on if there's an inventory balance and then, and, you know, tying into QuickBooks and POs and things like that, we'll tie all that stuff in together, depending on the circumstance. Hmm. Can you name what are, what are the one or two or three key pieces of software that you love to use? Yeah, so we're obviously fully Google process with that. We obviously, we use a lot of documentation that's digitized. We use PandaDocs that integrates really well with our PipeDrive CRM. Um, and then we have uh, Dialpad is another software that we use um, for all our phone call and outreach process, um, which ties into, you know, kind of the front end side. And then on the back end side, we use Katana, which is kind of our um, ERP system that manages a lot of our inventory and things of that nature that ties in also to um, QuickBooks online that does all of our uh, kind of PO and process on the bookkeeping side with that inventory. Hmm. So uh, let's back up the camera a little bit more. Um, how many deals have you done? Uh, when did you start? Where are they in their life cycle? And what's the success so far? Thanks. We started nerding out there for a second. I'm glad we switched gears. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we we bought two businesses so far. Um, prior to that, I was with two other partners. So I owned some minority positions in some hospitality businesses. And so I transitioned out of that kind of operationally. Um, and now we bought two businesses. We're hoping to close on another one, getting close. Um, and, uh, you know, the goal is to close one a year. So we started, uh, really started kicking off kind of like summer of 2020, was under LOI pretty soon after that. Um, that deal, unfortunately, did not close. So it took us a little bit longer after that. But um, yeah, our goal is to close one deal a year is kind of our expectations. Maybe we'll get to two um, every six months. Um, historically, what we did is I would come in as CEO operator um, for the first six months and they get transitioned out. That's not a very efficient way to do things I've come to find. Um, and so that's where we've rolled out kind of our process. Our, it's our general vice president program. Uh, I don't feel like we're recreating the wheel. We're really trying to just bring in great operators into these businesses where they've been developed over time, kind of our philosophy to make sure we're aligned. And then, you know, giving them the resources necessary to run these businesses where I play more of a kind of strategic uh, project type role rather than kind of deal, you know, day-to-day -day dealing with some of the things that we have to deal with sometimes. So- when you do your next deal, let's say, mm -hmm. who will be the new CEO of that next deal? Is that somebody you already have on your team who's waiting in the wings? 
Or is there somebody I, I'm going to buy a waste management business. And so I'm going to find somebody who I think is the perfect person to plug into that waste management. Is it, how does it work? Yeah, great question. So um, the former is where we're heading. The latter is where we were. Um, and what we were doing is similar to podcasts like this and others and other platforms. Um, we were doing basically some outreach aspects or we were getting inbound people reaching out saying, hey, I heard about you, heard about what's going on. I live in this part of Texas or I want to move to Texas um, through networks and just communicating. We are actively looking to hire incredibly smart men and women that can run these businesses and want to be vested in these businesses for a long period of time. Um, so that was the always kind of projection. What I have found is, you know, following other models that other people are doing across the country is that it's much more efficient to have somebody on the team for a while so they can be a part of that sourcing process or potentially part of that due diligence process and really understand them and kind of their framework and how they go rather than jumping into it afterwards and be like, oh man, you know, you culturally don't fit or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so um, those, those roles, I think it's really hard to, um, they're hard to hire for. There's a lot of great people that can do that, that can assist in that process. We've worked with headhunters in the past. There was a, um, a food distribution company I looked at pretty closely a few years back and found a great quality operator ahead of the close. Um, you know, we ended up not moving forward with that for a multitude of reasons. But all that said, um, I think that model works in some capacity in these small businesses. There is a huge transition for these employees to not center themselves around that new owner or that new operator, um, that there has to be the right disposition to not not let your ego get in the way of letting that happen. So that's one of the things that's really difficult, I think, is, you know, it's you're coming in as kind of the big shot of the of the room and of the team. And to not make the business float around you is is um, it's really important because the business will end up stagnating um, is what we have found is that that business will end up, again, only going to the capacity of that operator, not really have a larger, bigger vision over time. Right. So. When you're looking for somebody, this is sort of an HR question. When you're looking for the head of the new business of the, of the business you're about to acquire, I'm wondering if you could say a few more words. It's just curious as a model. Are you looking, for example, for somebody who's grizzled veteran, been in the industry for 30 years, maybe in the last 10 years of their career? Are you looking for the young up and comer? Are you looking for a uh, you sound very very systems focused? Maybe somebody who's more technical. Like what's the what's the look? of that new person coming in? Great question. Um, we're still uh, we're still fine tuning that obviously, um, you know, dependent on the circumstance with the business. Um, but I think, you know, no, I, to answer your question, um, we don't have a hard and fast rule of like years of experience. I think I need somebody that has the EQ and the ability to interact with these employees, but also be able to implement the game plan. Like, I think that there is a big debate. We're we're a kind of a holding company in 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 nature, right? So we're buying these businesses, holding on to it for a long period of time. Um, so there's a lot of debate in the holding hold co company kind of a space of you know what's a centralized business? Do you give the resources from the hold co side? Do you do this? So we we right now our mo is we've got a game plan. Here's what we're trying to implement. And I need somebody that can go and implement that um, with the understanding that we're flexible and we want to be able to be you know, creative in that way. But there is a reason that we've chosen some of the software that we have. There's a reason that we think it's easy. It's not an enterprise software. A lot of our employees have never interacted with many softwares before. 
you can imagine transitioning from a localized, you know, data place to now all of a sudden everything's cloud-based and they're interacting with people all across the world that they're assisting them with, you know, roles and responsibilities that they previously had. Like it's a lot of transition over a short period of time that we want to make sure that there's not this huge learning curve on the software side of things. So we have very kind of low entry kind of software that we implement. And so I don't need somebody that is wanting to recreate that wheel. I want somebody that can do it with EQ and understand the dynamic that's happening in the room amongst the employees and can think thoughtfully about where we're heading, particularly on the sales side. So we have looked at folks that have kind of like that VP of sales, but I've built decent teams and kind of grown a team from a few to many. Those those types of people that can understand those dynamics um, are really, really important. Because we're looking at businesses that historically have done good margins and cash flow over time, I don't always find that we are looking at people that have that operational background where like they know how to cost save on everything. And they're kind of, um, you know, rearview mirror type looking people. Um, they're more forward thinking type people is what we're looking for. Growth basically. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, what do you pay for your deals? Um, I don't know if you can disclose the prices. I'd love to know the prices if you could share, but at least like a range of multiples and how do you figure that out? Yeah, so most of our businesses, um, they range anywhere from two and a half to four and a half kind of times on earnings. Um, we don't always structure them that way. Sometimes it's a different setup. Sometimes there's a longer earnout. Sometimes there's a you know a part to roll over some equity. Um, it just depends on the circumstance. But that's kind of our typical range on deals. Anything over that, the risk tolerance for what we're looking for is just not there. Um, I'm always hesitant to say this in certain audiences, but we can play a longer game than a lot of our businesses that we're looking at, right? A lot of these business owners are transitioning in life for circumstances that, you know, are uncontrollable to them. And so as a result, um, we can play a longer game. And so I have folks that we're talking to now that we started talking to three years ago, um, and that will continue to happen. And I expect that to continue to happen. And we've set up marketing campaigns and processes to manage that. Um, I, I knew that some businesses weren't ready when we engaged with them. I don't believe that most businesses have that kind of star alignment. Perfect. I sent a cold email and it's ready to be sold right then and there. This is a long nurturing process um, for the largest asset they'll probably ever sell in their life. And so um, we want to play the long game. I've sat on many couches in people's houses with golden doodles jumping all over me. Um, so uh, we're playing a long game and, and they often can't play the long game. And so um, we often, you know, when we make that first offer, um, we try to communicate, Hey, we think this is a really fair offer, recognize it may be less than you were expecting, but it's not meant to like, you know, stab you in the side or take advantage of you. Um, we're really trying to be fair. And I think that your business would thrive in kind of our model. So let me, let me just make sure I got your numbers, right? I'd like to just drill down because somebody listening may be thinking, Hey, would I want to do this? So three to 12 million is your target. So let's say it's make it, make the math easy. It's a $10 million revenue business. And you said your target uh, net margins yep. are 15%. So let's yep. say it's 15%. So it's a $10 million business with a net earning of 1.5 and you're yep. paying two and a half to four and a half. So let's make it easy. We'll say, we'll say, we'll say four. Okay. Yep. It's doing, it's doing well. So you're going to pay four times that one and a half, that's $6 million, right? Yep. So if I'm the owner and I'm earning that and I'm in theory, I guess if I own the thing and putting that in my pocket, I'm saying I could work for more years and put that same amount of money in my pocket, right? And still own the business, or I could sell it to you for basically four years net earnings that I would be getting, right? So the, is that the calculation they're making is like, well, I could run it a few more years and make the money or I'm tired, I'm ready to hand it off and give it to you. Is there something else or that's pretty much the math in their head? 
Yeah, I think that is the basic math. Um, and then candidly, that is the long game I can play. That's the long game. You know, if, if that was working in a vacuum and life didn't happen, I, I think that would make perfect sense. And in most cases, um, with a very capable owner that has run this business from when it started at zero, that is the disposition they often have. And I fully respect it. You got to have a little bit of edge to yourself in order to say, yeah, I can, I can go bet on myself for the next four years. We have found that that's not always the case. And so as a result, we get those last minute phone calls, those rush situations. Uh, I talked to somebody last week that their wife passed away. They thought they would run their business for the next 10 years. Wife passed away unexpectedly. Um, he's ready to sell. And the business suffered during that time where he needed to take care of her. And so when you have a business that's centered around you historically, and all of a sudden you need to eject for a period of time, the business often suffers. People don't have a direction. They don't have SOPs. They don't have a process. And the business tends to dip. Then you can't sell at a 4X. So now we're talking at a three and a two and a half and other circumstances. Um, and so, yeah, my goal is to meet a business owner when they don't need to sell and not when they need to sell. But we know historically that's not, what we have found. Um, we find a lot of business owners deal with what we call the three D's death, divorce, or circumstance like it, or disinterest. And when they're in one of those state of minds or one of those life's changes or whatever the case may be, they often have to rush or they're trying to get out or they're, you know, having trouble with something or whatever the case may be. And so I try to do it right by giving a fair offer at the time. And we do obviously get pushback and say, you know what, like, I think I can go run this for the next few years. And we get those calls later. Hey, I need to do that. That happened with a business owner about three months ago in San Antonio. I mean, it, it, it happens. And so um, we can play a long game. I'm turning 33 in a couple of days. Like I, I can play a longer game than you can. And, um, but we try to put a very fair offer what I can show you multiples on market um, for your business. And it sounds like you have some uh, network where you meet folks and you have these conversations and you sort of wait until the three D's take effect. And so you might meet someone today who you'll buy their business from them in five years. You're not necessarily looking to do it now. You're looking to plant seeds that will bear fruit, if mixed metaphor, yeah, um, yeah. a couple of years down the road. Yeah, we're we're uh, obviously still in infancy, in my opinion. We can play, you know, 20, 30 years from now. That's going to happen more frequently. Um, but true example, that that does happen in small businesses. My buddy just bought a, another landscaping company last week or two weeks ago. Um, and he got called from that owner five years ago when he started, the owner started noticing his business that he previously bought was starting to make more traction in the neighborhoods and the areas that he was operating in. And he, you know, ended up buying that guy's business five years later. And so it, it happens. Um, and that owner needed to transition out. So that's just a true anecdotal that happened multiple weeks ago and just had, you know, coffee with him the other day. So it happens. And like I said, we're at that stage right now where a business that we talked to in the summer of 2020 um, needs to transition and he still has the wife is like, let's go. Um, and, you know, which we, again, we can play a different timeline. And, um, and and candidly, sometimes that business that was really good a few years back, that numbers look great. They were fully transparent. We got to talk through. They didn't like the offer. They, they come back a few years later and the business is even better. And we have to have a different conversation. That happens. Again, that's the risk I take, the race they take. And that's kind of the long-term game. And um, we can be flexible in those terms. And if a business is doing better with some stability, right? Like we're not paying on a really good multiple on a one-year kind of anomaly. But if it's a consistent situation or they've got some really nice long-term contracts, obviously that plays into our conversations differently. So my hope is that that's the case, right? Rather than the alternative. You were 
talking about the Holdco space before, are, are there a lot of other folks out there, kind of people you've met who are doing what you're doing? Is this is this a whole network of uh, of uh, guys like you? Yeah, there definitely is. Um, I don't know anybody that's exclusively in Texas that I've met recently. Um, there's a few that are in Texas that have bought Texas businesses. And there's some that are you know less public that have bought kind of industry focus, like my buddy who's doing just landscaping. He's got some a lot of experience there, grew up in a business similar to it. And so um, there is definitely people doing that. We are a little more broader than him. Um, and I'm willing to go anywhere probably except El Paso since it's in a different time zone. So all that to be said, yeah, there is. And I, I've got friends that are doing it, friends that I've got from grad school and things like that, one that's in New Mexico that's buying businesses. And I've got others that are in North Carolina and another one in Maine that I know well. And so all these different groups. And so, um, yes, there is. And they have all different theses and beliefs around what they're doing. And I, I believe that Texas is big enough. And I believe with you know, even secondary markets, we've got you know hundreds of thousands of population in our secondary markets, um, and so there's a lot of opportunity for businesses that have been here for a long period of time. You know, in the deal space, uh, you know everything was rocking when money was free, and 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 recently, you know, money got real expensive. Uh, maybe it's turning around now. We'll see. But um, did that change things for you? Like, do you use a lot of leverage, and does the high cost of high interest rates hurt you? Yeah. So um, I'm going to answer that in a slightly different way than you probably hear on the typical news channels. Um, I, I think that either way, before or, or prior to the you know interest rate increase, we still needed to create structures that allow these businesses to thrive years, years in the future. And that price that you buy at and the structure that you establish makes a big difference on that. And so we were always very conscientious about our structure. Debt was obviously a lot cheaper but that often meant that the businesses, they thought they were worth more than they actually were because there's a lot of money flowing around. So um, things have changed since then, obviously, for different reasons. Um, so we we want to partner with the owner so that in five years time, they can still tell their buddies and their friends and family, look at the business. It's doing so great. They can jump onto the new website or whatever it may be, or they walk through the door. And they feel honored because the business was able to transition well. There's so many studies about just in-family transitions that don't go well. And there's many, many cases where in private equity, the businesses you know, don't transition well or they get sold kind of very fast or whatever the case may be because the business is not going to be successful. And so we want to hold these businesses for a long period of time, decades to come. And I want to be able to sit around the family table with my kiddos and tell them about that business we bought many years ago and how great it's doing and all the employees that have been staying on and so on and so forth. One of my employees has been on for 51 years with the companies we own. So, you know, the, the goal here is long-term. And so that structure and that, you know, conviction with the owner and conversations with the owner has never been different. Um, we just had to structure it slightly different from where we get the money from. That said, one of the things that we're spending a lot of time invested in and relationships we're making is um, a lot of these businesses own the business and the real estate. And so being able to get partly liquid in that process, incredibly important to a business owner. Um, so we are, you know, de-risking us by you know, often using some seller financing to make the business a little more de-risked, um, but we're getting them liquid on the real estate side with lease holdbacks and other you know creative ways, depending on the circumstance. So we want to get them liquid is our goal because they often have the largest asset kind of tied up. And so we want to get them liquid in that fashion and let them transition and move on to whatever other interests or family you know dynamics they have going on. Um, so that's never changed. We're just having to get a little more creative on how we do that. 
since you're planning to hold these businesses for such a long time, uh, what's your model for making money yourself and for your team? You, you now have a team uh, working with you on, on, on all these deals. Uh, is it the old two and 20? Like, like what's your model for paying yourselves? So we do um, obviously a management fee every single month from the business, just operating it that pays us a relative number. Um, and then we we obviously take a lot of risk with our investors. These are micro cap businesses. They might vanish the next day. I think that there's enough statistics showing um, that these shouldn't go away because they've been so proven, but there is a chance that that happens. And so we have to be thoughtful about the structure with the, the owner, but we have to be a structure for the investment side. We do a lot of distribution to the investors first before we get flipped. And it's usually after that, it's pro rata in our favor um, after the fact. So we take a lot of the upfront kind of, you know, limits um, that we can do from a management fee and then giving them as much distributions. One of the commitments that I ask from an investor side of things, and, and often this is understood, is that we don't pay any dividends or any kind of distributions before the first year, calendar first year. Um, the reason for that is there's just transition and there's things that come up, warranty claims on businesses and holdbacks that we have to pay out and all this kind of stuff like has to be taken care of first. And then um, you know, after we after we deal with that, um, then we can start doing distributions and kind of getting everybody um, their money back. And so that's that's my goal. I want people that are going to be long term. Um, you know, we have obviously clauses in our agreements that we could buy them out and get them liquid at some point as well. Um, so I think we're thoughtful in the sense that um, you know, we we mean Sitzera Growth Partners want to hold on to these businesses long term, and we obviously understand that that's not always the perfect situation for our investors. But we recognize um, that we want to you want to have partners that think that way, at least, um, you know, foreseeably things obviously change. Got it. Uh, so when you talk long-term, I think you've said, I don't know, it could be decades. So someday down the road, who knows when you will sell the business, but you're looking to run the business for a long time, systematize it, professionalize it, grow it, and then maybe in the future sell it, but that's a long way off. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you we get phone calls, right? We get phone calls, <laughs> anybody does. Got phone calls from many family offices that people know the names of, and again, I, I want to build a business that's sellable. And um, but I have no intention of selling it because if I build a business that's sellable, I have the right goalpost in mind where it's not a business built around me. It's a business that has systems, documentation, and it has a diversified customer base. So if that's the the same alignment goal, yeah, maybe maybe someone sends me an offer that I'm like, wait, hold on, we got to at least like look at this. But that's not our plan. Um, I had an employee, as you're aware, there's many, many layoffs going on. Employee asked like, hey, how's it going? Tell me a little bit more about this. We were just talking about just general economics the other day. And I said, I'm not even thinking about that. The business is doing well. Things are going well in this way. Here's how we're doing sales-wise. Here's how things are going. Like that's not even a play. So to answer your question, the play of selling, people can keep calling and I'll keep having those conversations, but that's not the playbook right now that we're trying to play. We just have a couple minutes left. Uh, great conversation, by the way. Um, uh, two more questions for you. One, just shameless plug for Sitzera. Um, why should an owner who's thinking about doing something transaction-wise work with you? Why, why should, other than they get paid, but like there's got to be something in it. What's what? What's your pitch to them? We try to be the fair guys that aren't going to beat you up after you get under LOI. We really aren't. We're trying to be people that take care of the business for the next decades to come. And we try to be people that try to be, you know, giving in this process. I think that this is a challenging circumstance. So we give a lot of resources away, a lot of information. And then we, and if you're in Texas, 
because we're buying Texas businesses, we have a lot of connections with folks that would be great in the support side for you that we have no, we get no kickbacks, we get no, nothing from it. It's just high quality people that we've met over the years that I can say, here are four lawyers that would be, I think, a beneficial to you. Here's fourth wealth advisors that have been through this process. Here's four tax advisors, because that's going to play a big part of it. And I can say these are high quality people that I have no vetted financial interest with. And I, I think that you know, you could be benefiting from just knowing them or getting an introduction. So I think what we've thought about it in a way of like, if I had to talk to my great grandfather that owned a business in South Africa or Southern Africa, that, um, you know, we wanted to just do it right by the people around us. I think that we're honoring in that way. And so, um, again, we want to, we want to be a part of, you know, businesses that want to be in existence for a long period of time that don't want to get rolled up in some conglomerate in some sort. We want to really have established nice branded businesses in Texas that have reputational, um, you know, reputational clout and everything that they do. And so that's our, that's our goal. Okay. And last question um, for somebody who does want to connect with you and potentially think about selling or working with you on a transaction. Uh, what is the best place for them to find you? Like, should, you know, what website and, and what should they expect in terms of the process? Is there a form they fill out? Like, what do they have to do? Yeah. So you can find out more information on sitsera.com, T-S-E-T-S-E-R-R-A. There's tons of information there. We, we have articles um, and all sorts of, you know, tools and resources to give away. You'll see our hundred day plan in that process. Candidly, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, all I'm on those platforms, fairly active. Um, love to be able to just talk with anybody that wants to do that. So we we have a three-pronged approach. Um, we look for business owners that are based in Texas that want to sell or transition out of their business. We have investors that want to be a part of what we're doing um, in a you know passive capacity um, that are former or current business owners. And then we have operators that want to be a part of what we're doing and, and we're building out that bench as well. So anybody in those three rungs, happy to chat, um, start a conversation, love to be able to talk to you more. Terrific. Well, uh, Malcolm, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and continued good luck to you and your firm. Cool. No, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. And to you, our listeners, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is kind of a historic moment for us here at Winning on Main Street. This is our last full-length interview show. We do have a transition show coming up next week. Uh, I hope you'll tune in and listen where we're going to be bringing on our new host uh, and the new team uh, who will be taking the uh, podcast into the future. So I hope you'll tune in for that. But I do want to say uh, it's been a thrill for me and our team to run this uh, Winning on Main Street podcast for these four and a half years. We hope you've enjoyed it and listen for us next week. And as always, I want to thank our producer, Tim Alima, our coordinators, Diet Barnett and Daniel Huddleston. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your colleagues, friends and family to subscribe. And we'd love it if you'd give us a five-star review. It really helps us in the rankings. Uh, remember, small business runs better on Thrive. Get a free demo at thrive.com slash pod and check out our new fr uh, free product, a command center at thrive.com. Until next time, make it a great week.